0: We are going to continue in our study Titus chapter 3 today along with Nehemiah chapter 4. Once again Titus chapter 3, Nehemiah chapter 4. Let me remind you as you're finding those areas of scripture that you have received your Rise Up pamphlet. Now we hope that you've put this somewhere visible in your world so that it reminds you to pray for our church to rise up and for us to get ready for our Easter celebration. Now, if you remember last week we encouraged you to be a part of the evangelism training that's going to happen here on February 28th, but today I want to point out that we're going to rise up to pray. And on March 13th at 6:30 in our sanctuary, and I want you to mark in your calendar on March 13th, we want to gather as a church to pray. The Bible says repeatedly that whenever the children of Israel were come in contact with something that was bigger than themselves, they would run to the temple, and the Bible says the whole congregation would gather to pray. Well, we believe and we want to reach the entire city of L.A., and that is a task that's bigger than ourselves. So we want to gather together and rise up to pray March 13th at 6:30. Now, once again, those areas of scripture is Titus chapter 3, Nehemiah, all the way back to the Old Testament, chapter 4. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer to prepare our hearts? Our Father, I'm so thankful that we can gather in this place today and worship you. It's a refuge, a reprieve, to refresh, to be refreshed and replenished. For Lord, the days are difficult, and sometimes we come in contact with difficult people. And I pray that today as we discover that life is difficult, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, and so does the sun shine on the just and the unjust. Life can be difficult, but you've shown us a way to be. So would you speak and would you minister to us now? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, dealing with difficult. Dealing with difficult. Ever, anyone ever had to deal with anything difficult? Go ahead, raise your hand. I want everyone to see. Go ahead, raise your hand. Anyone have any? It's just life. Learning to deal with difficult. Let me tell you, I know difficult. Take a look at him. Now, I know you are looking at Maverick and you are thinking, he is so cute. You are looking at an angel of light. That is a a worker of the devil. I want you to see what he did to my Bible. I know difficult. Don't let that cute little puppy deceive you. Take a look at that picture again. He's a devil. Paul wrote the Corinthian church and he said, I don't want you to be ignorant of the devil's devices. He will come off as cute, just like a puppy, but he's out to destroy. (laughs) I know difficult. In fact, Kevin knows difficult. In over 30 years of ministry, over three decades of ministry, I have had to deal with difficult. Um. Let me explain. I took seven missionaries with me over to Liberia, West Africa. We had landed. I'd lived there for years, and they came over to help me out. And so we had a pastor's conference. And we decided that that we would go at a specific time when we thought it was safe, but war broke out. When they landed, they had never been in Africa at all. All of a sudden, they are in the middle of a war. We had to go to another place. And so I sat down with them and I told them, listen, when we pass through rebel checkpoints, don't talk. I don't want you to say another word. I know the dialect. You don't know the dialect. Just don't speak. I don't want you to say a word because I've been in that trouble before. One time I took a missionary uh, and he came in contact with a rebel soldier and the rebel soldier asked him, who are you? And he said, I'm a missionary. Unfortunately, with his accent, the rebel soldier heard mercenary. So he goes, you're a mercenary? And unfortunately, with his African accent, the missionary heard missionary. And he goes, yes, yes, I'm a missionary. I spent four hours in jail for missionary mercenary. (laughs) So I told him, don't talk. But I also told him, whatever you do, don't get out of the car. Because if they take you out of the car, and they take you behind a building, get ready, you're about to see Jesus. These missionaries, we prayed up. We decided they would go. Some decided to say, thought it was too much for them. And I packed up the car and we went up into this rebel controlled area. We get to our first rebel checkpoint. As we're pulling up, there are human skulls on the side of the road. Sorry to be so graphic at 1030. We get up to the checkpoint. A crazy guy comes up to me with a seven inch blade and he's got strapped on his back an AK-47 M16. I can't remember which one it was. It was one of them. He takes the gun out and puts it towards my face. And I don't know if you've ever looked down the barrel of a gun, but you're not thinking about, and you know that whole thing, your life flashes before your eyes? It don't. You think I'm about to die, Jesus, receive me. You don't have time to think about your whole life flashing in front of your eyes. So I'm looking down the barrel of this gun and he looks at me and he says, get out of the car. Well, I had just told all the missionaries, when they tell you get out of the car, do whatever you can to stay in the car because if they take you out of the car, You're done. Well, I get up and out of the car. I got a barrel. I'm looking down the barrel of a gun. What would you do? He takes me behind a building. As soon as he took me behind the building, there was a girl in the car. She broke out in tongues. And she kept going on and on, screaming. I don't know if you believe in the gift of tongues or not. That's your problem. But listen, she was going off in tongues. Now, listen don't amen that. Just stay with me. <laughs> so I'm behind the building. He's got a bar- I'm looking down the barrel of a gun. And he asked me, who is that woman talking to? She actually said, who is that crazy woman talking to? And I said, that crazy woman is talking to God. And if I don't get back to the car, I'm concerned about what will happen to you. So let me tell you, she has got like a direct connect with God. She's probably asking that your extremities drop off. <laughs> so I am telling you, it's important that I get... B- he goes, for real? And here's the girl in the car. <laughs> and she's just going on. And sorry, I'm not making fun of talks. I just don't even know what she was saying. But she, God knew what she was saying because the guy goes, okay. And he takes me back to the car. He opens the door and puts me in. Listen, I get in the car and I just drive through the checkpoint. Lisa, she's still going. And I get about two miles away. I pull over to the side of the road and I look at her and I said, Lisa, you can stop talking to God. We're safe. She looked at me and went. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I believe in tongues and I believe that God can hear it. Now church, I know difficult, but dealing with difficult is not just about being in full-time ministry. Dealing with difficult, it's about being a full-time Christian. Now I'm going to give you a verse and I know none of you have memorized this and I know none of you have got it on a Thomas Kincaid plaque up in your house, but it's a red letter Jesus speak. And in Matthew chapter 7, 14, he said this because narrow is the gate speaking to Christians And difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, this word difficult, it's a great word. The word difficult here, it's a Greek word that means being squished together. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you're being squashed from every corner? The best modern equivalent of this word is a trash compactor. Do you remember the first Star Wars? Remember Luke and Leia and all of them, Right? Do you remember when they went into the Death Star and then they jumped into the Death Star's trash compactor and the wall started coming in on them and they're screaming? And this was long before USBs and like all of those things and R2-D2 has put his little hand inside the computer like doing his whole thing and the trash compactor is still going and still squeezing and then all of a sudden you hear them screaming and shouting and C-3PO goes, they're dying R2, do something, they're dying not knowing that they were saved. Celebrating the fact that they stopped feeling squashed. Now, I know none of us like being in the trash compactor. But we all come to church to praise God when he turns it off. Now, church, listen. Paul understood this. Listen to what he said. We are hard-pressed on every side. I feel like I'm in the middle of a trash compactor, yet not Crushed tell you why he said that. Because as Christians, we know it's going to be difficult, but we have a different perspective about difficult. And as Christians, we know it's going to be difficult. Life is difficult, but we have a different approach to handle the difficult. And I don't know about you, but I have always found in my life that difficult is usually a noun. It's usually a person in my life. It's usually a place that I find myself in by my own doing or someone else put me there. I have found that difficult is usually a thing that's getting to me. So we're going to take a little commercial break from Titus, using Titus, over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to be talking about dealing with the difficult. Today, dealing with the difficult person. Titus chapter 3, Paul has just shown us that we need to show kindness to the evil and the unthankful in order to win them over for Christ. And in a sense... We expect the world to be unthankful and evil. We expect the world to lie. We expect them to cheat. They're sinners. They're enslaved. They, 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 they can't help themselves. We expect them to lie, to cheat, and to steal. So because they can't help themselves, we almost have pity on them. Like looking at them like as a, a 95-year-old blind woman trying to cross I-5. You know, like we, we, we almost have a little bit of pity on them. Like, oh, I'm going to help you out so Paul says show kindness to them so you can win them over to Christ Titus chapter 3 would you take a look at verse 8 this is a faithful saying this is where we closed and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works these things are good and profitable to men here's what Titus here's what Paul's saying listen I'm giving you good advice I'm giving you something that's useful. I'm giving you something that's profitable. You're surrounded by evil people in the world. So let me tell you how we should treat them. But sometimes difficult people can be in the church. Oh, not this church. There are no difficult people in this church. Let everyone say, why did only this side agree? Are you being difficult? We don't have difficult people at this church. Let the church say... It's, I'm going to be talking about other churches. My goodness. Titus chapter 3. Take a look at verse 9. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject pretty strong. Put them out. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. So give him a couple chances. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Some people in the church. I get it. Being kind to the world is useful knowledge for us because the world is filled with evil people. So he says, listen, Show the kindness of God to the world. That's great, practical, profitable, useful advice. But what he's saying here is arguing with people in church is absolutely useless and has no profit. He's making a comparison. And I want you to see the kind of person that was in the church. This is a difficult person. He says, avoid foolish disputes because they loved foolish disputes. Now, let me tell you what this word foolish is. It's just speaking. It's just putting words out in the air. And the word disputes is questions. So what he's saying is they're simply asking questions just to question, not to find the answer. Hey, you said this the other day. (laughs) And I was just wondering why you said it. Okay, here's what it is. Well, well I, didn't, I don't care about the answer. I just wanted to cause a problem. It's questions. Just ask questions. You see, they're talking just to cause contentions and strifes. They're disagreeing with you just to disagree. And they're in the church. They have no desire for resolution. They just want to disagree. See what he calls them? He calls them divisive. Now I need to let you know what that word means. It's the Greek word for heretics. He calls them heretics. And then he calls them warped. And let me tell you what the word is. Perverts. He says they're heretical perverts. I love the Bible. The Bible does not struggle with clarity. The Bible does not struggle with what... The Bible is not concerned about how you feel about God's righteousness and truth. And he calls them heretical perverts. Unfortunately, in the world today, people would say, Paul really hurt my feelings when he called me a heretic. He really hurt me when he said that I was a pervert. I'm a victim. And now the rest of my life is going to be destroyed because Paul told me the truth. Paul... My life is ruined because of what you said. You see, speaking the truth with love, with clarity, into people's lives is now considered abuse in the 21st century world. Let me give you an example. If if your child desires to transition from a male to a female or a female to a male, and you speak God's truth into your child and say that God created you male or God created you female some progressive counselors would label that child abuse. That's our world. That's right now. That's today. You see, because we live in a world that desires to be the victim instead of live in victory. And let me tell you, the victim, the victim uses everyone else as an excuse as to why they want to remain in their sin It's everyone else's fault the reason I'm so mean and angry. It's everyone else's fault the reason why I struggle with sexual immorality. It's everyone else's fault why I'm stuck in my sin. And every time you come to them, oh, every time, they blame you or they blame someone else. My daughter, when she was four years old, she did something and I went to go and spank her. When I went in the room, I said, Selah, I do not like what you did. She looked at me and she goes, well, I don't like your tone. (laughs) I said, I don't care if you don't like my tone. You did not do this right. And I'm going to have to spank you. And she goes, do you know that the way you are speaking to me is hurting my feelings? I bust out laughing. I walked out of the room. Haven't spanked her since. (laughs) The world wants us to treat them like four-year-olds. They want to live in their feelings. And anything you say to them, anything that is truthful that you say to them, they would rather live as the victim and blame you for it instead of you allowing you to speak the truth in life. And the Bible says they are self-condemned. That's compared different from the victor. You see, the victim is self-condemned, but the victor hears the truth and is set free. I guarantee there were many of you that heard the truth last week that the Kansas City Chiefs would win. Woo! How about this? <laughs> I had to do it. It's always best to side with your pastor. A woman last week, she was dressed in the full garb, like 49ers, everything. She had on hat and all. And she goes, I've only been here three weeks. I considered leaving today. (laughs) But you taught on being kind to the unthankful, so I'm going to be kind to you, pastor. (laughs) Listen. The victor hears the truth and is set free. He calls them heretics because that's what they were. They were wolves in sheep clothing. Now let me tell you about the heretic. They appear to be one thing. They appear to be righteous. Did you hear what Pastor Chet said? Did you hear what happened? Did you hear this? Oh, they appear to be for a righteous cause, but their contentious character proves that they lack the character of Christ. Let me tell you, church, you could know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, all the 66 books of the Bible, but if you have not love, it profits you nothing. Absolutely nothing. And he calls them perverts. And let me tell you why he calls them perverts. Because they are twisting God's truth. They are twisting God's truth to support their lifestyle and to support their personal agenda. And what they're trying to do is recruit a following to support their corrupt character. Don't tell me how to live my life. Let me tell you something. The kindest thing you can do is call them out. And so you can hope to save them. What parent do you know when they see their child running after a ball into the street with an oncoming car coming, and they see their child is about to get hit, what parent goes, well, I don't want to scream at him. It might hurt his feelings. <laughs> Johnny, oh, Johnny, you're about to die, Johnny. <laughs> don't run into the street, Johnny. Sweet, Johnny. Johnny. Let me tell you what that parent does. Johnny! (laughs) You know why he's screaming the truth at the child? Because he wants to save the child. And the most loving thing he could do is let that child know, a car is coming and I'm trying to save you. The parent is not worried about hurting their feelings. The parent is worried about saving their life. Nehemiah, he had some difficult people to deal with. And I want to take a look at these difficult people so that we know how to deal with the difficult persons in our life. It may be your dog, Maverick, who does this kind of thing to you. Oh, not just this. Let me tell you that little devil. I planted a garden. I came home one day. He ate every flower in it. You know what amazes me is that my family just watched him eat it. You know why? They didn't dig it. I did. And I looked at him and he was about to go back in the garden while I was sitting there like, <laughs> look at me. I looked at him and I go, you little devil, you walk in there and today you will go to glory. <laughs> <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 4, would you take a look at verse 1? But it so happens, and what the Bible is letting you know is Nehemiah writes his journal that something is going down. When Ballot, now Sam Ballot is our enemy, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Nehemiah is coming in contact with a difficult person. Now, I just want to remind you, how many of you have got difficult people in your life? Go ahead and raise your hand. I want to see, I want everyone to see. All right, you are Nehemiah. Let me tell you why. Because you are the people of God, just like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was sent from Babylon back to Israel by God. And he was sent by the word of God to build God's kingdom. And as a believer, you're a Nehemiah. You are in your world to build God's kingdom. Now, Nehemiah's job was to build the wall. I don't know what God has directed you in, but you're Nehemiah and you need to put yourself in this story. Because Nehemiah was doing what God told him to do. This is why Jesus said it was going to be difficult. Because when you are building God's kingdom in your life, you will come in contact with God's enemy. When you are building God's kingdom, you will come in contact with God's enemy. And let me tell you about God's enemy. He don't show up in red pajamas with a pitchfork. He shows up as a cute little puppy. That's why Paul wrote the church in Corinth and said, I don't want you to be ignorant of his devices. He's an angel of light. And he uses people. This is important. Because people are not the enemy. God died for all people, even your enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And if we're going to deal with difficult people, if we're going to deal with a difficult person, you've got to make that difference in your mind. That the enemy is using that person to bring difficulty in your life. And Nehemiah was facing a difficult person by the name of Sam Ballad. And he came to Nehemiah and the Bible says he was angry. Because whenever God is doing a great work, the enemy gets mad. Can I tell you something? Do you know that there are people that are angry at this church? Do you know that? Just ask the boyfriend of the girl that got saved a few weeks ago who went home to her boyfriend and said, No more. Get out of my house. I have decided to follow Jesus and I'm not going to bed with you any longer. He hates this church. He is angry at this church because she gave her life to Jesus. But it's not just outside the church. It's, not just, it's inside the church. Do you know that Pastor Jeff, the former senior pastor here, Pastor Jeff desired to restore a pastor who is nationally renowned and he fell. So he brought that pastor here to restore him, to love on him. And there were people in the church that came against this church... Because Pastor Jeff had a heart like Jesus to restore a man that needed to be restored. And those same people, they still are angry at this church for what Pastor Jeff did and what I am doing. Let me explain something. There are angry people because the enemy will use anger to come against God and his king. Let me tell you something. We're living the book of Acts here. Did you see the miracle of Kevin? We're living in the supernatural. People are getting saved. We're watching miracles happen. And let me tell you something else supernatural. People that are not being healed have found a peace with God that passes understanding. And they're living in the supernatural no matter what they go through. Let me tell you, the book of Acts is happening here and Satan is angry. And let me tell you what Satan does when he gets angry. He mocks you. Take a look at Nehemiah chapter four, verse two. And he spoke the enemy before his brethren and the army of Samaria, and he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Look at him asking questions. He don't want an answer. He just wants to make a statement. He just wants to bring contention and strife. Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Are they gonna try to be religious? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned. Now, well, Tobiah the Ammonite he chimes in. He's right beside him, and he said, "Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall." Anybody ever call you a name? Do you remember sticks and stones will break my bones, but words can never hurt me? What a lie! <laughs> what a lie! That was something your mom tried to convince you of when you were hurt. Is not true. Words hurt. Anyone ever called you a name? It's what the enemy does, these feeble Jews, and what he does is he tries to take the strength of what's happening and give it a new name, you're feeble. He plants a lie into your life like the 5-year-old little girl who some bully came up to him and said, "You're ugly," and she believed that lie her whole life. It's what the enemy does. He plants lies into our mind by calling us names. Ever been there? He asks questions. Just to provoke, just like what Paul was telling Titus to beware of. He ridicules your efforts. Even a fox, if he gets up there, you can't do anything, Chet. I'm gonna stop you. You know what I call this? I call it the tactics of the devil, the five, the, the deadly D's of the devil. The deadly D's. First is discouragement. You feeble little Chet, who do you think you are? oh let me explain he then goes on to despair you can't do anything depression and despondency these are the deadly d's of the devil and what these feelings begin to do in our heart and life these feelings these lies that he's planting in our life they develop a doubt of god in our life god why are you letting this happen to me why is it so difficult why won't you rescue me I mean, Kevin walked. Why can't you do that for me? And he begins to make us doubt God's plan for our life. And this doubt, it begins to distract us from what God has called us to do. This is spiritual attack on your life, these deadly deeds. These deadly deeds are trying to move you from what God has called you to do. Let me go on with the story and the attack of the enemy. Look at Nehemiah chapter four, now verse seven. Now it happened. When some Pilate, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Astrodites, that's the enemy, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry. Not just angry now, they're very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem. It's a spiritual attack. And create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there's so much rubbish, we're not able to build the wall. Now they're calling it what the enemy called it. Before it was a building stone, now it's called rubbish because the enemy lied to them. And Our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause uh, the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them, near the enemy came, that they told us 10 times. They kept telling us over and over and over again, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Stop there for a moment. Spiritual attack. The Jews are discouraged. And discouragement has caused them to be distracted and lose their passion to do what God had called them to do, build that wall. In despair, they began to see more of the problem, like the enemy. It's just rubbish. They began to see it as an obstacle, not as an opportunity. They were looking at the problem, not the solution. They were so depressed that they even felt like, I can't go on. Fear and anxiety began to creep in, and it was beginning to incapacitate them because they were so despondent. The enemy is winning in the crowd. Difficult people were used to bring confusion in the camp. Let's be honest. You ever been there? Have you ever been there? You ever been discouraged? you ever been depressed? You might even be dismayed today. Then you need to see how Nehemiah dealt with a difficult person in his life. Go back with me now as we relook at the story from Nehemiah's perspective. Remember, this is Nehemiah's journal. He's just writing down everything that's going on. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, look how he responds to the threat of the enemy. Verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Nehemiah is not in a great place. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. If you're taking note and you're dealing with a difficult person, listen, have a strong defense. Have a strong defense. Strong defense wins championships. Ask the Kansas City Chiefs. (laughs) I keep telling you people, listen to your pastor. When the opposition has a strong offense, you have to have a stronger defense. Amen. And Nehemiah's defense was prayer. His defense was prayer. He wasn't defensive. He wasn't defending himself, trying to say, wait, that's not true. He wasn't trying to say, you're a liar. What are you saying? No, no, no. He didn't go on the deep. He wasn't defensive. He went on the defense. He trusted God as his defense, and he went to God in prayer. And Nehemiah's not even in a great place. Take a look where Nehemiah's at again in verse 4. Here, O oh, our God, we're despised. He's letting God know, I'm not in a great place. And listen to what he prays for his enemy. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them his plunder to the land of captivity. You ever pray that prayer to Jesus? Lord, whatever you do, just give them a terminal disease. <laughs> just give it to them, Jesus. I mean, you they are the enemy of God. And I want you to just, would you just, would you just, do something. I want boils, Lord. I want everyone to see it. Like, a, I, I love cold sores all over their lips. Like, I, I, uh, she's, oh, she thinks she's so pretty. Give her a big zit right on her forehead, God. <laughs> Let's be honest. You ever pray those prayers? Let's be honest. No one's going to be honest. <laughs> Nehemiah's not in a great place. Now, God doesn't necessarily answer this prayer, He's being real. He's being authentic with God. And he's saying, I want you to get him, God. He's just pouring out his heart to God in a real and raw way. I don't feel good about this. And I wish you would just do something against this person. Take a look at verse five. Don't cover their iniquity. Don't let their sin be blotted out from before you for they provoked you to anger before the builders. You see, Nehemiah is a man of prayer. He's been a man of prayer all the way in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And as a man of prayer, he knows God's way. God was angry about what was happening. God was angry. I want to tell you something. If you're mocking the people of God, Gossip and slander and lying about the people of God. You got to begin to wonder whose side you're on. Because the enemy mocks. Be careful that you're not a tool of the enemy in someone else's life. That you're not the difficult person. And this enemy, they ain't done yet. I'll let you read it. But in chapter 6, they start a social media campaign against Nehemiah they write a letter. And this letter is filled with slander and gossip and lies. They are so bitter that God's work is moving forward. They will do and say anything to stop it. These guys are difficult. And we got to be careful. Listen, if you're a keyboard warrior, be careful. Be careful about hiding behind a computer screen and airing your dirty laundry for the entire world to hear how angry and mad you are at the people of God because it makes God angry. Makes him angry. Now listen, I'm not saying that people in the church won't hurt you. Not this church. Remember, we are the church. I'm talking about other churches. Okay? Listen, I know. We don't have those people here, okay? But listen. Listen. I know people in the church can hurt you, but God has given us a way to resolve the hurt. He's given us a way to bring resolution with communication and love and kindness. He's given us to be raw and real. Listen, he knows where you're at. He knows you want them to get some kind of terminal sickness. He knows the condition of your heart, but he's listening to your prayer. Church, listen. God's given us a way to deal with that hurt, and it doesn't include going on social media and being like the world, because that's like the enemy. That's just like the enemy. Seek God in prayer, just like Nehemiah, and he's going to direct you how to deal with this difficult person in your life. It's Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. Look what God tells him to do. So we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. You know what he told Nehemiah? Get back to work, Nehemiah. Ignore him. That's what he told Nehemiah. Just get back to work. You know what he told Paul? You need to get to Rome. So you know what Paul did? He appealed to Caesar. Paul went the legal route. For one, it was ignore. For the other, it was a legal route. Every situation is different because every difficult person is different. But there's a principle that Nehemiah is getting across to us. Go to God in prayer, and he will give you the wisdom of his word in dealing with your difficult person. Let me prove it to you. James chapter 1. Take a look. This is James, half-brother of Jesus. Look what he says. James 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, James had a weird way of looking at life, okay? Okay. <laughs> Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect to complete, lacking nothing. In other words, what he's saying here, the quickest way to change is patiently, step by step. If any of you lacks wisdom, so you're in the middle of a trial, you're in the middle of a problem, you're dealing with a difficult person. If you lack wisdom in that, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's why the devil uses discouragement to bring doubt so that God doesn't answer your prayer. It's a strategy of Satan. He wants to knock you out of the race. But what God is saying, when you're in your problem and you're dealing with your difficult person, just come to me. And I don't even care where you're at. If you're not in a good place, come to me humbly. Make the humble decision. And even if you pray a prayer like, Lord, I pray you give them something. I get it. I understand. I know where you're at. Come to me in prayer and I'm going to change you through prayer into my character and then I want you to do what I'm telling you to do. Go to God in prayer and he will give you the wisdom of his word. But I want you to see something else from Nehemiah. Take a look at chapter four, verse six. They built the wall. The entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Nehemiah is getting across a principle here as he writes in his journal, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Once Nehemiah got God's direction, he did what God told him to do. He says it like this. We had a mind to work. We decided not to focus on the difficult person. We decided to focus on what God directed us to do. So we're building the kingdom. We're building the wall. We're doing what God told us to do. He chose to walk by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Nehemiah made the decision, I'm not going to live by my feelings. Nehemiah is not in a good place. He feels despised. He's trying to tell God to get the enemy and to wipe him out. It's obvious that Nehemiah is struggling, but he chooses to focus on what God's asked him to do. You see, difficult people, difficult people can make it difficult To practice our faith. Because we give ourselves an excuse. We become the victim. Well, they hurt me. And with giving ourselves an excuse, we give ourselves an excuse not to do what God has told us to do. And we begin to lose our focus. But we are called in the midst of that difficult person to still be sober-minded no matter what they've done to you. Listen to Peter. Peter says this. It's 1 Peter chapter 5. Listen to what he says. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about about like a German short-haired pointer. (laughs) A roaring lion. Seeking. Whom he may devour. Resist him. It's just in the news yesterday. I'll come back to the verse in just a minute. A man in India didn't listen to the zookeeper and he wanted a selfie in the lion's den. He jumped over the fence. He was dead in 15 seconds. You can't play with a lion. And the only thing that you can do is what the Bible says. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. I want you to do it again. How many of you are dealing with a difficult person? Go ahead, raise your hand. I want to see it. I want everyone to see it. You're dealing with a difficult person. Everyone's dealing with difficult people. And what he's saying here is, be sober-minded. You see, let me explain what happens. When the enemy uses difficult people to attack us, it affects us emotionally. And we can make emotional decisions because we are drunk in our emotions. So we need to be sobered up. We need a bucket of the living water of the Spirit poured out on us. Now, how did that picture get up there? Pastor Zach. <laughs> Do you know what Paul You know what Paul told the church? I told you so. I told you so is a biblical principle. I use it with my children all the time. I told you so. It's in the Bible. Acts, you read it in the book of Acts. Now listen, for you 49er fans, I told you i pray for you. I've been praying. I love you guys. We can make emotionally drunk decisions. So we need to be sobered up by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we learned last week, when you feel that emotion coming out of you, you gotta ask. Now I told you, not at this church. It was another church in the lobby. I had given a gospel. It wasn't at this church, because there's no difficult people at this church. Amen? Amen? I noticed that this side was a little louder this time than this side. This must be the Kansas City Chiefs side. I'm just, I'm just being a difficult person in your life right now. I want you to practice <laughs> scripture on me, okay? Now listen, I'm in the lobby, not at this church. I've given the gospel. Guy walks up to me, grabs my hand, he goes, you just sent all those people to hell. Excuse me? It's literally what he said to me. He goes, this is the prayer you should have prayed. And he outlined a prayer that I should have led them in. And then after he was finished with his prayer, he said to me, because you didn't lead them in that exact prayer, you sent all of them to hell. I would love to say the glory of the Lord fell upon me. But I felt the blood boiling from my feet. And then it began to emerge. I felt my face began to get redder than it is right now. And I'm actually getting a little stirred even thinking about this moment. And it was right then and there I had a choice. Are you going to choose to build the kingdom of God or destroy it? It takes a sober mind. And right then and there, Jesus pour out your spirit on me and you know what i said this is the only thing i could muster god bless you (laughs) and as he turned i kicked him (laughs) the spirit is willing the flesh is weak i didn't kick him but i wanted to You see, when difficult people make life difficult, just keep doing what God has called you to do. That's being sober-minded. Nehemiah is commenting, we built the wall to half its height. And what he's saying is, we pressed on despite the pressure. We were in the trash compactor and we were sober-minded. Let me tell you something. I believe that this church is ri- it should rise up for us to reach L.A. I believe it. It's my vision that I believe God has given me. You don't think I've got difficult people in my life with that kind of vision? And let me tell you, if I was writing my journal like Nehemiah, I would write this. We have built up a few thousand lives in L.A. and we got thousands more to go. Because though the pressure is on, I'm gonna use the pressure for God and his glory. Let me tell you about Nehemiah. Look with me as we continue to learn from Nehemiah that we need to have a strong defense to be sober-minded. And now, Nehemiah chapter 4, would you look again at verse 9? Let's read it with a different perspective. The enemy comes against them. Nevertheless, look at Nehemiah in verse 9. We made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. We read verse 10, 11, and 12 where the Jews are concerned, but they're they're, they're worried. And Nehemiah is surrounded with difficult people. They're discouraged. They're in dismay and despair. And can you imagine when the Jews came to him and said, they've said 10 times, they're gonna come and kill us. They're gonna come and kill us. They're gonna come and kill us. Can you imagine if Nehemiah in that moment goes, you're right, let's quit. Let's just give up. That is not the story we're hoping for. Then why do so many Christians quit and give in to their flesh? You're Nehemiah. It's not what Nehemiah did. Take a look at verse 13. Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So, our third point. Maybe you'll write it down. He strategically prepared for battle. See, the problem with most Christians, we've forgotten we're at war. Problem with most Christians, we've forgotten we're at war. Not with difficult people. Remember, Jesus died for difficult people and you used to be a difficult person. Now you go to Calvary South Bay and you are not. God loves those difficult people. He died for them. We're at war with God's enemy because we're building God's kingdom. And so we got to gear up strategically. We got to prepare for battle. We got to be part of the resistance. It's Ephesians chapter 6. Take a look what Paul tells the church. We don't wrestle against people, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, in other words, having given it your all, stand some more. Church, Nehemiah told everyone, Pick up your sword, and it's the same thing that Paul tells the church. Pick up the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. And we've got to strategically prepare for war. And our greatest strategy to deal with difficult people will always come from being directed by God's word. We've got to dig in to discover what we should focus on. This is exactly what Nehemiah tells him, what I'm telling you. Look at verse 14. And I looked, Nehemiah speaking, writing in his journal, And I rose and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, and your wives, and your houses. Remember the Lord. Remember that he's great and remember that he's awesome. And what Nehemiah is telling me seek God. Find out from God the way that he wants you to deal with the difficult person in your life because his plan is awesome and it will always lead you to victory, always, without a shadow of a doubt. Just ask Joshua. You know what God told him? Joshua, here's the deal. I got a great strategy for you. He is such a strategist. God says, Joshua, divide the army in half. I want half the army to attack from the front. I want half the army to attack from the back. Then when the enemy comes out, I want you to pretend like you're running away. God's ingenious. Then I want you to turn around and attack them when you see smoke rising up from the city because the people that were in the back attacked the city from the back. And guess what? Joshua listened to every word that God said and he had victory. Just ask David. God told him, pick up five stones, David. One of those stones is going to go right into Goliath's temple and he's going to go down and then you're going to chop off his head. Just ask John the Baptist, who was beheaded and was immediately in the presence of God. Some of you are like, okay, I love the first two examples, don't like the third. I mean, I love the whole Goliath's head chopped off, but not the John the Baptist head chopped off. Because John the Baptist was in jail. And the enemy used this experience to lie to him. The great John the Baptist, so discouraged, so depressed, after baptizing Jesus and hearing the voice of God, he sends a message to Jesus while he was in jail. Are you the one or not? The enemy lied to him. God wonderfully ended his journey. And from the moment that his head came off of his body, God the Father looked at him and said, well done, you were faithful. You see, you got to be careful of developing your own strategy so that you win. God's not concerned that you win. He's concerned that you're faithful to what he's asked you to do. And your faith is victorious. You see, our faith is is the victory that overcomes the world. It don't matter if you behead or you're beheaded. Whatever it is that God asks you to do, be faithful. Now listen, don't worry about it. His concern is that you do what he's asking you to do in dealing with the difficult person in your life. That's the best strategy. Don't worry. If you are digging in his word to discover, you will know what to focus on because he will give you a peace in your heart and he will empower you in the spirit to do what you think you can't do. Maybe he'll tell you to confront the person. Maybe he'll tell you to ignore the person like he did Nehemiah. Maybe he'll tell you to go the legal route like he did with Paul and appealing to Caesar. That's on you to discover from God. But he will give you exactly the next step as you find yourself in his word. Just ask Kevin. Kevin didn't get mad at the guy that hit him. He had a strong defense and he went to God in prayer. Just ask Kevin. He was sober minded that when God told him you will walk, he told the doctor, give me seven days. God told me I'll walk. When the doctor told him no, God told him yes. He defied his feelings and he lived by faith. Ask Kevin. He strategically prepared for war. He grabbed that rail that he put up in his room and he walked around seven times. Then he walked around 14 times. Then he walked around 21 times. And then six days later, he walked into the doctor's office and said, look what the Lord has done. Now, church, we all got difficult. I'd follow Kevin's example and watch how God gives you the victory. Our father, we come before you now in Jesus name. So thankful for your word. And right now, if you're dealing with a difficult person, would you just lift your hand and surrender? Just lift your hand and surrender. For Lord, what we're doing now with our hands lifted high in surrender is we are asking you, would you give us what you want us to focus on? Would you give us your word? Help us to be like Nehemiah. We're busy about your kingdom, but we got a difficult person to deal with. So Lord, we surrender with our hands lifted high and we're asking you humbly in prayer. And Lord, I know even those that are lifting their hands, they may not have a good attitude about the person. And like Nehemiah, want to see them just die. So Lord, I pray that you would take this act of humility and begin to change them into your character so that they don't become a difficult person. In Jesus' name, all God's people said,